0: everybody welcome back to another episode of Daryl's Daring Thoughts it's pride month woohoo! and we are going to do a little pride FYI for you guys today we are going to discuss some influential that's not even a word um um great influencers of the LGBTQ plus community and people that you've never, never heard of before. And um, when I was doing this research, I was like, oh my goodness. Like, I really wanted to talk about some great people in the community, especially during this month, because this is our month. And um, I wanted to talk about people that no one has heard of before. And so one of these people on this list, I knew I wanted to talk about. I actually wanted to talk about them back during season one, because I saw a play that was based on them but I was just never got around to actually doing a full episode about them so I was like great I have a great episode to introduce this person to you guys for you guys to go and research yourselves because yeah we got some great people in this community doing some things that you guys need to know about so first I'm going to talk about someone named Marsha Johnson and now for my, you know, for my LGBTQ plus community, y'all know who Marsha Johnson is. But for the rest of the, you know, heterosexuals out there, I guess y'all matter. <laughs> joking, joking. I love you all. So you guys um, matter too. And I want you guys to know who she is. So Marsha Johnson um, is an African-American transgender woman and revolutionary. Uh, she's a big woman um, LGBTQ, um, listen, I can't be saying all this shit. These words just flubber out my mouth. So she was a really big gay, um, rights activist. Okay. Um, she is very critical for being one of the people who started the whole Stonewall movement. Now Stonewall is why we have Pride Month. Um, Back in um, 1969 on June 28th, the Stonewall Uprising was just some days that was going on in New York City, you know, where, you know, the gays just love to be in a little community um, out um, partying and clubbing and going to bars and whatever. And the police were always harassing them. Of course, they were harassing them for being gay and just, you know, doing those things. And so that is when um, the people took to the streets of New York and were rioting, protesting for gay rights and gay movement. And um, that's where the Stonewall up um, uprising started. And that's what started Pride. Um, and that's why, like last year, we just celebrated the um the what was it the 30th yeah the 30th yeah 30th anniversary of Stonewall um yeah yeah 2019 yeah we celebrated the 30th anniversary of Stonewall come on you better count and so Marsha Johnson was one of the faces of the Stonewall movement but during that time um, black gays or black transgenders or anything were not allowed to be the quote-unquote face of the movement. <laughs> Sounds familiar? Yep, still happens today. So that's why a lot of people don't know about her because they purposefully did not talk about Marsha Johnson. And so during the um, as, as an African-American trans woman, Marsha Johnson has consistently been overlooked for both participating in the Stonewall Uprising and more general um, act- activist things that have to do with the um, community. And she later established the Street Transvestite, which is now called the Street Transgender um, Action Revolutionaries, S-T-A-R, um is a group community to helping the homeless transgender youth of New York City New York City she founded that um she also quickly became a prominent fixture in the LGBTQ community um known as the drag mother by helping the homeless and struggling LGBTQ youth LGBTQ youth hello and touring the world as a successful drag queen the, uh with the name Hot Peaches. Come on, drag mother. And you know, just for a second, I really want a drag name. So for y'all who are listening, if you can really just come up with some cute drag name, you know, you can send it to the email. You can send it to my DM on Instagram and I will give you a shout out on an episode because I need a great drag name. You know, so come up with something and help 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 me out. Um uh, for Marsha jo- Marsha johnson as an eccentric woman um she was known for her glamorous jewelry so her jewelry hold on i can't hear myself in this ear hello there we go okay we're back here that was me sorry okay i'm gonna start that one over an eccentric woman known for her, her outlandish hats and glamorous, glamorous jewelry. She was fearless and bold. Don't y'all just love a fearless, bold drag? Oh, love it. Come on, mother. And um, despite her difficulties with mental health illness and she had numerous police encounters, she was still a prominent figure in the community. Now, sadly, On around um, July 6, 1992, Marsha's body was found in the Hudson River. Now, it was a little skeptical about her death. Um, They said that it was suicide. um, It was suicide, and they contributed it to her mental health illness. But what was very interesting, 25 years later, her case was actually reopened. And it's actually cool because there's a Netflix series Um, about the, the, um, the cop that, um, the detective that reopened her case because they did try to find some evidence in showing that it was murder and not, um, a suicide. Um, she wasn't unsuccessful with really bringing, um, enough evidence because again, this happened so long ago. A lot of the people that Marsha hung around with are either, um, died or moved on um also well actually in the uh, Netflix series a lot of them have died because of the AIDS epidemic and so the detective really did not have a lot of people to um to talk to in regards to that so she you know her case kind of got you know stonewalled and whatever but it's a very good series and you guys should go check it out I don't know the name child but um it's about Marsha Johnson and it was really good. Um, I watched it. A, I watched it like a year ago. Um, but yes, that's Marsha Johnson. So she is again one of the iconic figures in the Stonewall Uprise, um, uprising which later brought us our month of June for Gay Pride, and that's literally what we are celebrating. We um for this month we are celebrating, you know being free, being ourselves, um, not, you know, like we ignore the police and, you know, just it's a riot. It's an uproar. And, you know, we're here. We're here to stay. We're not going anywhere. And that's who Marsha Johnson was. And so I think everyone should know who she is because that girl is important. Snap for you, Marsha. Okay, next. So this next person we're going to talk about, you guys, is someone who I was introduced to, or well, not physically introduced to him. I was introduced to this person because I auditioned for a play. It was a play musical that was about him. And so when I heard about this person, I was like, this can't be real. Like, he can't really be a person because, A, I would have heard about him. And B, this is some juicy shit. So this person's name is Baynard Rustin. For those of you who do not know, Baynard Rustin uh, is an African-American civil rights um, activist who was a very... He was basically Martin Luther King's right-hand man, and he was a gay man. And a lot of people don't know about him. Um, I think more people are starting to learn about him, but... I don't think a lot of people understand the role he played in Martin Luther King's life and helping him with the, um, the March in Washington. So I want to talk about Baynard because for one, he's, he's a really cool dude. And, um, I really hope that a movie or something happens about him because I think that that would be a very interesting story to talk about this black man who was gay. and He was out. He was not this down low he wasn't down low like you niggas. He was an out gay man in the in the 50s. And he wasn't afraid of who he was. And he was right next to one of the most influential people in in our history, Martin Luther King. So the that is a major, that's that's major. Like someone really needs to do a story about him. So Baynard um lived and worked in the deep shadows in the deepest um, shadow, not because he was a closeted gay man, but because he wasn't, he wasn't trying to hide who he was that combined with his former ties to the communist party. um, So he was him ties to different things in the community that did not help his cause. And I'm not going to go into details about too many details about that, but it was basically he was involved in um, um, a movement that was not doing the movement for the right reasons. They basically branched off and tried to do different things in the movement. And because he was moving up in the political chain, you know, working with Martin Luther King and working with other leaders, he had to step away from that. But it was still a tarnished. It still they should still try to tarnish his name because he was a part of it to begin with. Um, so as a close out um, advisor to Martin Luther King, he was very um, influential in the the March on Washington. He also organized and led a number of protests in 1940s, in the 1950s and in the 1960s. Like I said, including the March on Washington for jobs and freedom, which was 1963. Um um his um, sexuality did not play a part to how Martin Luther King treated him Martin Luther King didn't care about that and he also um with, so basically he was actually doing a lot of these marches and movements before he even met Martin Luther King he was actually um introduced to Martin Luther King because he heard about him doing the uh the, boy, the Montgomery bus boycott. So he heard about him and he heard about things that happened with Rosa Parks. And so he actually went down to the South to meet him and wanted to be a part of his movement because he believed in Martin Luther King. Even though he was already doing things, he just wanted to be, he wanted to be with someone else who believed in his beliefs and someone who he, he saw as a leader. And I truly think that him being a gay man, he really probably wanted to be with someone else that you know, it was a heterosexual male that didn't have that quote unquote baggage that can help him make moves better. Um, which is true. I can I, I totally can believe that, that that's what happened. And so he wanted to be with someone who, you know, could speak for him in places that he couldn't speak because of his sexuality. And so because honestly, you know, black people were still probably the worst when it came to the sexuality, but I'm not even going to go into that. That's another episode. I've actually done an episode before. So y'all can go listen to that one. Um, He also, um, so what he did was his nonviolent, Dr. King was known for his nonviolent approach to um, to a lot of things. And he got that nonviolent approach by reading and learning a lot about, um, come on Cordero by, by, by Gandhi but he got that from Baynard Rustin so Baynard went and actually studied um Gandhi's works and his teachings of nonviolence before Dr. King and so he actually int- introduced that information to Dr. King Baynard did so everyone you know, really, things that Dr. King just got this out uh, out of the blue. Baynard was the person who introduced nonviolent approach um to getting to the different causes to Dr. King, and I honestly think that that's really cool that he did that uh, for him. And we know that you know Dr. King's nonviolent approach was is one of his iconic um structures, um, and how he handled you know, police brutality and, you know, discrimination and things like that um, with the community. Um, Another thing about Baynard, he was also, um, he also instrumented and formed the Southern Christian Leadership Conference um, in 1956 that he created for black leaders in the South. And Dr. King was also a part of that. And from 1965 to 1979, uh, Rustin served as the president and later as the co-chair of the A. Phillips Randolph Institute, which is an organization of black trade um, unions um, dedicated to racial equality and economic justice for all. And this was also a big thing in the South. Um so one thing that was interesting in the departure from Baynard and Martin Luther King. So a lot of people don't understand, like, um, you may not know who he is really because he was not there all the way to the end when Martin Luther King pal was murdered, um, assassinated. He was not really seen that much um as the years progressed. And a lot of that have to has to do with um, a man named Adam Clayton Powell Jr. So he was angry. Um, that um, Baynard and Dr. King were planning a march outside of the Democratic National Conference um convention in L.A. So Mr. Powell's ass decided to go to Dr. King and threaten him and say, "If you do not drop Baynard Rustin from your cabinet campaign, your team." He was going to start a story saying that he was Dr. King's gay lover. Um, Yeah, this is some true shit. So Adam Clayton Powell Jr.'s ass went to Dr. King and said that, like, hey, you don't get rid of him. I'm going to go tell everyone that that's your gay lover. So Dr. King had no choice at that point. And so even though you ain't hear this from me but some people in the back then said that that kind of was true but you know I, I you know what i would it wouldn't put it past me honestly you know there was a lot of shit said about dr king he's still an amazing person but it wouldn't put it past me that he probably was bisexual i don't care you know everybody got a damn dream so, Dr. Powell did that. <laughs> so, Dr. Powell did that. And so, that's why Dr. King had to distance himself from Baynard. And so, he really wasn't able to continue on the other conferences that they had with, with each other. And so, that was, hey, that's Baynard Rustin. Baynard, you get two snaps. Yes. <laughs> I like this whole snap thing. It's cute. So. So, um, my next person I'm going to talk about, um, his name is Harvey Milk. So, some people may know Harvey Milk, some people may not. So, Harvey, um, Harvey Milk was an American politician, and he was the first openly gay elected official in the history of California. So, he was elected to serve on the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. Um, he's from New York. And what's interesting is that he served when he served in the navy. Um, he served the navy before he um, started going to the wall on uh, the Wall Street, and he was he was a homosexual. He knew he was gay, um, but he was actually prepared to live a double life. Like he just said, "Hey, um, I just know that I'm not going to be out here, you know, with a gay man and just being married and all that good stuff." So I am. Go- You know what, y'all? Hold on. My mama calling me, and I want her on this call. Yes, mama? You're welcome, mommy. You're welcome so much. You're welcome. I'm, I'm recording my podcast right now, mommy. You're welcome. Love you, too. Bye. So y'all, hey, my mama made a little guest appearance on my podcast. Hey, mama. Anyways, so he was um again, we're talking about Harvey Milk. So Harvey Milk was determined to just live a double life. He was saying, you know what? I know I'm gay, but I know that this is not a lifestyle that everyone appreciates, that everyone is responsible with. Um, and so I am okay with living as a down low man. And, you know, that's what it is ha! until he met the right one child. They got him all the way together. And he said, look, I am convinced I am an openly gay male and I'm ready to live my life. And that happened in the streets of New York. Now, listen, I wish I was in the New York in the 80s, early late 80s, early 90s, because them girls knew how to work it. They probably had a damn good time in the 80s and 90s in New York in the gay community. And I just wished I could have just been a fly on the wall to experience that good time. Now I know it was drugs and AIDS involved. And I ain't talking about that good time. But just the, being an atmosphere of love and light and just being free and not giving a damn. And I mean, that's how I live my life now. But I just wish I would have been around other people who do that as well. I would love to experience that. And so that's what happened. He experienced that for himself and is, was convinced that this is how he was going to live his life. And so he followed his lover to L.A. And that's why he ended up moving to California. Come on, you better move for somebody. Where's somebody to move with me to <laughs> Pennsylvania for love? Hello. So um, in, the, in the 70s, he started to establish himself as a political activist for the gay community. Um, he was winning um he was winning seats on the board of supervisor. He emerged um uh, as a prominent um gay open open openly gay official. He started going into anti-discrimination measures um for you know work and he was one of one of the people who helped the non discrimination thing happen for now when you go and apply for jobs and that's a part of it where they can't discriminate you for your, you know, your uh, sexual orientation. He was one of the people in uh, California who spearheaded that um and to get those votes for that. So that's an awesome thing about him. Um, And at first he was not really winning any of the races he ran. He ran actually, actually for three political races. He knew his sexual identity played a part in why he didn't get elected but he kept going um he kept running he did not i'm sorry he um he lost two races um prior and he did not allow his sexuality to stop him um he actually thought that he was losing because of other gays actually he actually got a lot of people a lot of people came to him and was like look you gay, we love it. And I'm paraphrasing to be like how Cordero would say it. And it's like, hey, you're gay, we love it. But you need to wait your turn because basically we've been here. But because he came in swinging, people gravitated to him. And you know, he was like, you know, he's bold. And I, it was really uncommon in that time for a bold white man to just of, to, of being gay to be just like ready to just take on the world. And, use his privilege (laughs) and you know for the community so people weren't ready for that you know there were people it seemed like the only bold people were the people that were doing drag or you know those people because they use their drag for their boldness but he you know straight dressing uh, white man and he was bold and he was confident in helping the gay community um, in California, you know, get jobs and not be discriminated against because of that, and you know that's a great thing about him. Um, he actually um, uh, he he forced an alliance with the uh, the Teamsters unions by supporting a boycott for uh, coarse beer, and the union returned the favor by pr- uh, promising to hire more gay drivers. And then with um, his uh, charisma and energy and natural political skills, um, uh, Mr. Milk was soon to be known as the mayor of Castro Street in uh, California. He's also dove into more personal matters by spearheading the bill, as I stated, to ban the discrimination of employment. And also with that, he banned the housing discrimination and the public... Um, yeah, the housing discrimination. So not only for jobs, for housing, you know, so you can't be discriminated for your sexual orientation for housing. And also he, another gay activist that was murdered. So he was actually murdered by a former colleague of his. Uh, And there was actually a movie made about him, about Harvey Milk. I think it was called Milk. Yeah, it was called Milk. So there was a movie, a movie made about him. And yeah, y'all need to watch that because <laughs> that man that killed him, he, that was a mess. So that's Harvey Milk. Harvey Milk has paved the way for us as well. I never met the man, never knew him. I wasn't even born, but I can apply for a job knowing that that discrimination um clause that's in the job is for me. And he helped that. So Mr. Milk, you'll get two snaps. Yes! So I'm excited about this last one I'm talking about. And the reason I'm excited is because this is the one I was telling you guys about at the beginning of the podcast that I have been trying to find a way to talk about. So here it is. So, Joan Jet Black. Y'all, like, who the hell is Joan Jet Black? Well, Joan Jet Black is a drag persona of a performer of Terrence Smith. And Smith is an African American actor, writer, and political candidate. Well, what type of political candidate do you think? Well, John Jet Black actually ran for president of the United States in 1992. So John Jet Black was a drag who ran for president in 1992. Black, by the way. So Mayor Pete Buttigieg is amazing. I love him, but he wasn't the first. He was not the first gay to run for president, and I know people are like, "What? I never heard. I never heard of this." Of course, you haven't. They don't want you to hear about this. So let me talk to y'all about Miss Jett Blackchild. So Joan, um, she ran as part of the Queer Nation Party, um, and actually from here, from Chicago. Hello. Having helped founded the Chicago branch of the activist movement, uh, activist organization, in doing so, she became the first ever drag queen to run for president. Joan Jet Black is a drag alter ego, as I stated, of Terrence Smith. Uh, Terrence Smith, Terrence um started doing drag in nineteen seventy four. Um, Joan was a was um a unique figure to drag, and that's because. Terrence was very muscular. He was a very muscular drag, and he didn't want to hide his muscles. Um, Terrence approached the drag scene in a way of of canceling out feminine and masculine, and wanted people to just be you and be you however you wanted to be. And his in his mind, you know, a, a mask. I can be drag and be masculine. I don't have to be feminine. And he wasn't. Child, he had guns and the arms for it and his little dresses. It was cute. And that's what set Joan Jett apart from other drags in the community. Um. So, um. again, and, and also, this was not Joan's first time running for a political office. Joan actually ran for a Chicago mayor against Mayor Daley. Ha! Y'all didn't know that, did you? I didn't know it either. This is some great information. Um, of course, Black did. Um, uh, Joan did not win, um, and Joan really did not enter the races expecting to win. Joan entered the races with one one key goal in mind, and that is to show the importance of the LGBTQ plus community. And during that time in the nineties, late. Late eighties, early nineties, the AIDS epidemic was ridiculous. You know, like how we're going through the coronavirus right now. That's exact. That's exactly what was happening with the AIDS epidemic, um, and it was wreaking havoc, um, in the in our communities, and so Joan really wanted a, a president that was going to talk about it and find a way to. F- fix this and fight it and now during that time that was the presidential election where it was between Bush um senior and Bill Clinton and so Joan was just not confident that either one of them was going to speak up for us so Joan said I am running for president damn it and she did so her campaign was strong enough to land her on the cover of the Chicago magazine um, new, um, Chicago Magazine, New City, alongside Mayor Daley himself, with the headline "King and Queen of Chicago." Yes, though she, um, as I said, that she lost the mayor candidacy, she was actually still called the Queen Mayor of Chicago. Um, she also, um, so Black made her way through the first Chicago, um, made her way through Chicago. Um, first convention for um, when she ran for president and she actually even made it to the National Convention um, you know this is the, the National Democratic Convention she actually made it to the floor and she had on her spike heels mini skirt blonde wig and pearls honey with a leather jacket pink lipstick and a whole lot of costume jewelry Black, Joan Jett Black promised that if she were elected Everything in America would be more fabulous, more fruitful, and more glamorous. In July of nineteen ninety-two, uh, she actually took the Democratic National Convention floor, and everybody had to listen to her speech. Now, the, the I'm what intrigued me is that she actually made it to the floor, and voiced that she was running for president, and no one is talking about her now. She's not in history books or anything. Now what was funny was that she had to come to the convention dressed as a man, dressed as Terrence, because that's what her ID and stuff said. Because of course, you know, Joan Jet Black is not an actual person. So she went into the bathroom and changed and became Joan when she took the floor at the um, national convention. Um she um of course she did not win. But a lot of people think, a lot of people are saying that her speech on the Democratic floor is what prompted Bill Clinton's acceptance speech when he discussed the uh, AIDS epidemic and that she had a voice, uh, her voice, and um, carried over to him because he knew that those supporters were people he needed and he felt strongly about it because of what she did. She actually ran again in nineteen ninety six. I guess she really just didn't give a damn about Bill Clinton. Um, at that time, she even won the Iowa primary, and just like Pete Buttigieg won the Iowa, Iowa, come on, Iowa loves us guys, come on, Iowa, come through. Um, she is um, yeah, as I said, credited for you know giving Bill Clinton that idea, but that. Is Joan Jet Black, and you, my dear, get three snaps. And Joan Jet Black, Terrence Smith is actually still alive. There was actually a play I saw last summer at the Steppenwolf that was about um, Joan Jet Black. Um, it was called Vote Black, and it was an amazing story. And it's just amazing because. All these individuals are amazing. But Jones is just amazing because, gosh, you know, running for president of the United States, being at the Democratic National Convention and speaking, having so much courage to be in front of all of those people and, you know, run again and then win a, a primary. And it's kept out of history books because no one wants no one wants to give this information. But I'm giving it to y'all asses today. So, That is my LGBTQ plus FYI. Happy Pride, everyone, and thanks for tuning in. To follow me on social media, you can go to Instagram. I'm very active on Instagram. I'm Miss Cordero underscore Santiago. Follow me on Instagram to just stay in touch with everything I'll talk about. I'll update you on. Um, the upcoming episodes And things to look forward to I'm so excited that I have An email address now for you guys To send me requests for topics Any questions you have Regarding a topic that I've already discussed Or if you just want to vent about Something that's going on in your life That you want me to talk about On an episode I have an email address for you to do all of those things The email is you at gmail.com So I'll spell that for you darrow d-a-r-o d-a-r-e s-u darrow dares at gmail.com send me an email